Corey and I had a lot of fun doing this episode. We weren't expecting it to be a real long one. As a matter of fact, we both had stuff we had to get to, so we were thinking, you know, we'll just crank out a real quick episode. It's a skeleton crew, but we really want to get something out there. Can't miss a week. And uh, next thing you know, we're just going and going, and we're almost an hour and a half in, and <laughs> so we just had to wrap it up so it gets a little quick at the end, but hopefully you guys enjoy it. We uh, tried to get a few ideas out there for how you could uh, prepare for the winter and what you could do in the winter, and hopefully you guys like it. Anyways, like normal, uh, much appreciation. Thank you to everybody who's listening. It's uh, awesome to to see people engaging. It's, it's great to get feedback, so thank you. Take the time to share this episode or the podcast. Just hit that share button on your podcast provider and send it to a friend or to someone that you think could use it, and hopefully we can keep this ball rolling for a while. And with that, we'll take care of some business and get right to it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. Fall is here, and it might be the most beautiful time of the year. The weather, the trees, what the client wants and needs. But it's all about to change. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And there's no two ways around it. It happens every year. Daylight is running out. Winter is on its way. Are you prepared? On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we look at how the tree world changes with the season and what we can do to adapt on getting ready for the winter. Well, uh, today we are running a skeleton crew because, well, Jamie, Becca, Dan, and a couple other friends of the show are over at the Naom competition down in Southern Oregon. So wishing them best of luck. I'm sure they're down there crushing it, just hanging out, having a good time. But uh, we got an episode to do, so here we are. But before we get into that, I'm Andrew. And I'm Corey. And that's all we got. So, uh, well, we got Rue too. But. Yeah, we got Rue. Come here, Rue. Come here. Load up. Yeah, good dog. That's a good puppy. Yeah. So we're we're just hanging out, and we were trying to figure out what do we want to talk about for a skeleton crew episode. We we're working together all day and just kind of chatting, and it became pretty clear. What time of year is it? It's fall. But what does that mean for the tree world? And there's a couple different ways you can look at that, and we'll kind of dive into a couple aspects of it. Well, I guess first, what does it mean for the trees? Well, if they're uh, if they're a deciduous tree, they're probably losing their leaves, right? 
Most definitely, yeah. They're losing their trees. They're going dormant. Leaves. Losing their leaves. Losing their leaves. They're going dormant. They're losing their, <laughs> they're losing their trees in the fall. That's, yeah. That's a bad. That's yeah. Bad. Those aren't trees. Those aren't trees. <laughs> so what, what are your first thoughts when you hear about losing leaves, trees, I guess the changing of the colors? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts around that. I mean, it's one of the first thoughts I think of working for the city. We, um, we have the leaf collection crews that come through. Yeah. And so that like for us, we're spoiled in the fact that cleanup gets exponentially easier during the fall time because we just kind of blow the leaves into piles right next to the street. And then, so they'll come through with backhoes and then uh, leaf trucks and they'll load all those, those leaf piles up and then collect them. And uh, so, yeah. So for the city, Eugene, this isn't just for urban forestry, but for the city, Eugene, the way, you know, in the Pacific Northwest fall hits, there's a lot of leaves on the ground. So the way Eugene takes care of it is they send trucks around, you, you know, everybody pushes their leaves out into the street and into big piles. And then these trucks come around and just suck up these giant piles of leaves. And uh, that way they're all taken care of. Yep. They're not blocking storm drains because, you know, Oregon gets a lot of rain. So, and that usually coincides with the leaves all dropping. So it's a pretty concerted effort. They have a, they, they have a really well organized. They have the you know city block are like broken down into routes and then they'll just follow those routes. I think they, uh, they follow each route twice. So yeah. they'll do the initial route and then they'll come back through and like uh, trees like a pin oak or a sweet gum that persist with their leaves for much longer into the season. Um, they'll get those on the second go around because, you know, they're still dropping leaves periodically. So I think it wraps up around December, mid-December. You know, I'm not 100% sure. Part of being on tree crew, which is pretty awesome, is we don't have to do that because we're so busy during that time of year that uh, they don't make us go on the, the leaf cleanup detail. Which does make it nice. Yeah, it does. And I know some some cities, well, I'd imagine some cities just say you're on your own with the leaves. Other cities pick up bags of leaves. There's a few different ways you do it. But if you are in a city that will pick up the leaves off the street, and I'm sure Eugene's not the only one. I'm sure there's other ones out there that do the same thing. Definitely. Even in the residential world, you know, even another, you know, that cleanup. Now, if you're pruning a tree in the backyard, you might not be able to do it. But if you're in the front yard, you can just blow it all into the street, all your cleanup. And, you know, so it is It is just a wonderful time of year for cleanup. It is, yeah. Just blow it into the street and you're, yeah, the cleanup is done. You don't yep. have to sit there with a bucket. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, which, although the downside to leaf season is dog poop. Oh, my God. You yeah. cannot see where it is. It is hidden and it is wet and soggy and, oh, my God, that's the worst part. That is. I've, I've heard of arborists working up in Alaska or any of the any arborist who works in the colder climates, like hats off to you guys. That's that's some badass work. But like the snow will, so people will let their dogs out to do their business, right? And it'll just pile up with the snow. And so as that snow melts, you come into the springtime, and there's just like frozen dog shit that then oh, just like six months of frozen dog shit. Exactly. And they'll go through, Ugh. and like it'll just be a fucking landmine, like just just landmines all over this backyard. I mean, I've I've worked in some really sh- shitty backyards before. Oh my, if you're an arborist, everybody has. Yep. Yep. But like that just sounds like a next level, like frozen. So it's probably not decayed at all. It's just like f- almost fresh and just oh. ready to fuck up your day. 
Oh, man. So going to story of the field a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so when me and Lacey decided to start Happy Little Tree Care, you know, she, I, Lacey's a badass. She's helped me do tree work as long as I've known her, and she will work with everybody, you know. But we're going to start a company, and I'm like, hey, this is a little different than doing weekend work. You know, I mean, well, it is weekend work, but it's, you know, we're doing contracts. We're actually starting a business, you know, it, it feels good now, but just know there's the up days and then there's the down days. There's the days you show up at a yard and there's just dog shit everywhere and it is a mess, you know, and, you know, like it was planned, you know, like a couple months later, we go to this job and it's this uh, cherry removal in the backyard, these super cheap clients. So they want, oh, you know, leave all the brush. We just want you to get it on the ground. Sure this you know i mean it's not like a postage stamp backyard but it's not a very big backyard and right. they've got six german shepherds fucking christ i mean nightmare Ugh. and it's renters right so it's not even the people that we dealt with and so right you know nobody told them to clean up the poop and no and they probably wouldn't have even if they were told yeah anything. it was just such a mess and lacy was just so pissed we've all been there when just every other step you're like <laughs> You know, and so Lacey gets the scoop shovel and cleans all the scoop shovel and puts it all in a pile in the corner. And then as I'm low, because a lot of it was over the house, so as I'm lowering these things down, she is taking the brush and staging it all on top of the pile of Whoa. shit that she... Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. So, it, I mean, she just sent a time bomb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with Lacey. <laughs> I will remind me never to piss her off. Yeah, no, it's not a good move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, oh, it it was instant respect. It's like, all right, honey, you know exactly what you're doing here. Good on you. That's a seasoned pro move, right? Yeah, there. no, that that's is... that's no, that's what happens when you bring a doctor into the tree world, right? That you know, a doctor that's willing to get after it into the tree world. Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I yeah. love that so much. Anyway, sorry, real quick story from the field there. That's a fantastic story from the field. I didn't I didn't think we were going to go into dog poop so much so fast, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. We're uh, really in the shit now. <laughs> that one's for Becca. Yeah, it's for you, Becca. Uh, it killed me a little bit to say that. But. Yeah, so let's see. One of, one of the other things that like really strikes me, I don't know if, if a lot of arborists are like this, but I know I myself when the trees lose the leaves um, and then when they come back in the spring, I always, my identification skills, they definitely like kind of take a nosedive during the spring, during the winter months. I mean, you can, you know, you can identify them off the buds and the bark and like, I know, I know what tree it is, but then you'll be driving through and like maybe a tree you're less familiar with. um, You'll be driving by it and you'll be like, Oh, okay. I thought that was a maple. And then all of a sudden it leaves out and it's like, Oh wait, that's, that's a, you know, a golden rain tree or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you see that and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. And then you, I kind of have to re like every season I have to reacclimate myself to identification based on the season, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing that, you know, especially in dormancy for a lot of the deciduous trees, I have to, I find myself kind of recalculating or recalibrating, uh, my skills and my, uh, identification knowledge. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, a really good point. I'm, Tree, uh, tree identification is definitely one of the things I consider a weak point in my tree game. You know, the, the trees that we work with on a regular basis, I don't care if there's leaves or not, I'll identify them, no problem. 
but those more fringe ones uh, will throw you for a loop. And yeah, I remember when I interviewed for the city, part of it was a tree ID thing and it was, you know, all the leaves were off. And so it was like, I, cause yours was in February, right? Or yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it was in like January, January. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just, it, it threw me for a loop. It did there. I did not do good on it at all. It was, no, it's, it's tough, man. Well, and Sean O'Brien was the person walking me through it. Who is like, a savant when it comes to tree ID. It he, is, it he, is crazy. He can, he can smell a tree from a mile away and he knows what it is. Like, yeah. I, I swear to God, that guy's brain is like, you could probably fill a swimming pool with the knowledge that the guy has. Oh my goodness. You get like, he'll be up in the boom and he'll just start identifying all the trees in the neighborhood. It'd be like, Oh, there's Bay Laurel over there. There's a cedar over there. Like three houses down in the backyard to the left. There's, you know, there's some obscured, what you know, <laughs> he, he, he did that. He did that this week. We were yeah. with a, a black, a black walnut. And a gorgeous black walnut on Walnut Lane, believe it or not. And he's like, hey, there's a bay laurel, you know, three houses down to the northeast. And I'm like, oh, wow. And <laughs> that's how it is every time. It, every, every time. It, it never ceases to impress me. Oh, he's just, yeah. What yeah. a guy. What a guy. What a Someday guy. we'll get him on here. We we constantly are trying to get him on. And today's another example where, you know, he's, uh, he, he just, you know, he's not the type of guy that he, when he gets off work, he just wants to go home. Yep. Well, yeah. and... Yeah. Anyways, I'm not going to go too much into Sean O'Brien's life. He's a private guy like that. But someday he'll come on, and it will be an epic day when that happens, guaranteed. Well, a podcast will reach a new level. It, the like, O'Brien factor the, level. The O'Brien factor level. Um, Man, I don't even know how we got into the O'Brien factor level. Uh, it's usually how it happens. You're talking about tree ID. which is- Tree ID, yes. Yeah, so that is... This is another great example of why you want to be on top of your tree ID game is or uh, tree ID game for more than just the leaf. You know, you want to be able to know the canopy shape with or without leaves. You want to know the structure of the tree, the how the new bark looks compared to how the older bark looks. All these little things are so important. Definitely. Yeah, I heard. So when you took your ISA test back in the 1800s, right? <laughs> They still had identification portion of the uh, of the certified arborist test, or was that gone by the time? They don't have an, a, a tree ID portion of the certified arborist test. Not anymore. Really? Yeah. So. So okay, I take that back. There is there are portions, so you have to identify. You know, what's a compound leaf versus what's a yeah, simple leaf yeah. kind of thing. So there's there's they tailored it so that it's more broad, so that you can like identify leaf structures. Versus like, so I'm not a hundred percent anti that mm-hmm. because there was, there was some confusing pictures Yeah, that you would get a card and there'd be four different pictures and up close and then far away and then the twig. And I mean, I, I totally, so what it was before I took it, like, just like, I thought I was going to have to actually have specimens. Because it used to be that whoever was doing the test would cut a few specimens, right, and then uh, bring them in. Okay, and so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But these cards were kind of confusing. I hate you cannot. It is my fervent belief that you cannot photograph a tree properly. Like a tree, you need to see a tree in person to really. Well, not only that, but and I don't know how they selected these pictures or cards if they were. 
but a sweet gum that grows on the East Coast looks different than a sweet gum that grows on the West Coast. It absolutely and, you does. know, so there's little things that can really mess you up, especially, man, I get test anxiety. I was not in a place where I was going to, like, slowly, you know, process what tree this, you know, I did, yeah, I, I wasn't stoked about the yeah, no, I, little I, pictures, you know, through dirty, uh, what's it called? Uh, the plastic on the... Oh, yeah, uh, uh, laminate. Lam- yeah, lam- yeah. Laminated dirty pictures, yeah. Yeah, laminated dirty pictures don't do it for me. Yeah, no. That, that's, <laughs> it was like, oh, God, oh, God. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. No. But, and that, No, that's a good point. But, and, but what happened is I, you know, looked at them and then talked about it with people after because I didn't pass it the first time with the tree ID. Uh-huh. But they used the same pictures. Oh. So I was kind of able to rule out this and rule out that and, you know, I was able to get figure it out. Right. And that's not how it should be. I like the idea of being able to identify what a compound leaf is, what, you know, these different features that you're going to see. And I think long game, that'll help you identify just, you know, just as good as some old dirty picture. Definitely. I think so too. And it's, it's one of those things where it's not, you shouldn't necessarily as a, when you first get your certified arborist license, so you've been working in the, in the tree business for three years, right? or you should be working in the tree, tree business as it stands right now. You should be working in the tree business for three years before you go in for your for your certified arborist. Right. I think you have to. Yeah. You, you have to, right. Or you have, or combination of some kind of education. There, there's a bunch of different factors. Anyway, with that amount of experience, you shouldn't necessarily be able to identify every single, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that you should be able to identify every single tree that comes across you. I think that, to become a, a decent arborist, you really need that like five year span. And then you should be not be able to an- identify every single tree that you come across, but give it a pretty good educated guess or, you know, be able to find the revenue to identify that tree. So like uh, find, find someone else who's more knowledgeable or find an encyclopedia or be able to snap pictures and then kind of deduce from there where, uh, what that tree is. Right. Yep. Uh, versus, that the the old style it's definitely more um i don't know it just it didn't it didn't it didn't fit for me so i think it, it the newer style is much better as far as like identify leaf structures identify how leaves grow identify how trees grow and then kind of go from there yeah that is it makes a lot more sense yeah and it sounds like we're moving in that direction yep or have uh, moved in we, that direction we have moved in that direction so um what else about losing leaves in winter can you think of you know why they lose and why they change colors and fall, right? So it is the chlorophyll leaving the leaf, right? So the chlorophyll is the the green um, is, is usually associated with like a green uh, green coloration, uh, depending on the tree. You know, some uh, some trees have more of a yellow leaf, some trees have more of a, a greenish or reddish leaf, but the chlorophyll is that leaf um, that part of that leaf structure that allows photosynthesis to occur, right? So as the trees will enter their dormancy, they'll reabsorb that chlorophyll back into the, um, back into the stem itself. So it'll recede away from the leaf, but it's leaving that keratin. Yeah. That's the last, uh, chemical that is pulled out of the leaf. Right. And keratin is, well, as it, as it sounds, keratin, like carrots, orange, right? Yeah. So varying degrees of orange. 
And I would imagine there's other chemicals in there because a purple leaf or, you know, there's different colors, different reds, or maybe those are combinations of different chemicals. It's not just chlorophyll and keratin. Right, right. I, but, but those are the big colorations that you see, right? So those are like, those are the big ones that I did like point to a specific color, right? So you have keratin, which is orange, which is very distinctive. You have, uh, derivatives of orange which are like yellow anything from yellow to that kind of purple yeah. kind of fit within that color spectrum versus uh green you have anything from like a yellowish to a uh, even a dark purplish could have that green kind of integrated that chlorophyll integrated into it right yeah so as those as well it's all integrated together it's just it, as it gets colder it's pulling different ones out and different ones come out faster right 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 and so so that chlorophyll comes out faster the keratin is usually you know reserved for the end or uh, towards the back end of it and then it'll it'll start to recede right yeah which is a which actually plays in pretty importantly to why you don't necessarily like why broken branches um or why you don't really want to remove um not not remove but why you may want to think twice about removing deadwood especially smaller deadwood that is not hazardous because a lot of those like there's a, that same principle kind of applied there, right? So you still want that, uh, some of that nutrients as as branches and stuff die, right? That tree will, um, it'll go through various chemical and hormonal processes where it starts to reabsorb some of that nutrients from a branch or from a leaf, right? Yep. So if you cut that off prematurely, you might be doing a disservice to the tree. I would say that you are. You are. I mean, it, you know, unless, unless there's some way that it could you think it could fail and rip down the tree or if there's some structural defect that could cause more damage as it failed. Right. You know, if a branch is just dying, if you're truly looking at what's best for the tree, you're going to leave that branch. Right. So we're, we're talking obviously, you know, risk or any kind of human impact or uh, any kind of like building impact aside. Right. Yeah. So obviously if a branch, if you look at a branch and you're like, okay, that's going to probably come down this winter. So I should probably cut that out right now. Obviously cut that branch out right now. But if you're looking at, let's say there's a branch off in a natural area and the client is like really into aesthetics, but also kind of understands that, you know, they want to, they want to do what's best for the tree, you know, kind of guide them in that direction. Like, okay, we can take some of the more, uh, the larger deadwood, the more detrimental stuff, but we don't really need to go through and fine tune this deadwood. It's really best for the tree if we let it kind of reabsorb that and let it drop on its own. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, those are definitely things to think about. Um, and that kind of gets to, we're talking about deadwood, you know, when that's one thing that always is a challenge for me this time of year, oh fall. My God. Yeah. Is all of a sudden, and we were dealing with that. We we're today, we we're cleaning out these walnuts we have all week. These, giant beautiful black walnuts i mean some of my favorite in town and you know it's been going through the i mean it's one of those days where leaves are falling while you're working one of those weeks just all weekly so at the beginning of the week there was most of the leaves were on the tree by now a lot of the leaves are off some of the trees especially up at the tips which we had suspected that there was some tcd going on in some of these we're not seeing a whole lot of evidence of it but there are uh, t- TCD, thousand canker disease for yep. uh, those who aren't in the know, but we suspected TCD. So we're, you know, we're hyper vigilant of that. We're trying to look out for that. And obviously it's, it's dying or not dying back. It's losing the leaves up at the top of the canopy first. And then it, you know, recedes down into the lower canopy. So pretty typical TCD 
behavior. So we're, we're having to go out there. And one of the ways that for me in the wintertime that I always try to identify which, which branch is dead and which branch is alive. Obviously if a branch is dead to a certain point, you'll be able to tell. Um, and also looking at the buds, you'll be able to tell like some buds will just look less swollen. They'll look, uh, you know, just basically dead. And then from that point, you can kind of deduce that that entire branch is dead, just looking at the buds all along the branch. Um, another way that I'll do it is I'll actually go out and I'll break individual buds. And if they, if the cambium is still alive on the inside, obviously that branch is still alive. It's minimal impact to the tree. And then you're also, um, you know, if you find that those dead portions, it's a lot easier to identify that. Yeah. That's always a challenge though. It, it is. And it, you know, it takes a couple weeks, you know, and then you, it seems like once the leaves are all gone, mm-hmm. you've got a couple of trees under your belt, then you're good to go. Yeah. It, it's always those transition spots that like fall, like early fall before the leaves have really fully fallen off. And then spring, right yeah. when the, like, not when the buds have actually broke, but when they're right before they're kind of starting to swell when they're alive, but they haven't started to fully swell. Those are the times that I always find it most difficult because you've, you, again, you have that kind of weird transition spot. Yeah. And the black walnuts weren't too bad. The buds are big enough. Mm-hmm. So you could really tell pretty good. Yeah. And the bark changes enough. It does. And then the, uh, on the black walnuts, I was noticing they would lose their leaves. Now I'm, I'm totally brain farting on the term, but uh, it's got the compound leaf, right? The compound leaf stem. And so the compound leaf stem is uh, left on there, but all the leaves fall off the stem. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple little uh, hints you can look for, mm-hmm. you know, when looking for it, but it, it definitely gets tricky for a little bit. It does. It does. Yeah. Win- winter time. I mean, there's... Um, you know, it goes into kind of the seasonality of, of work, which I think is another um, topic that we wanted to touch on with this, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, all right, we've gotten gotten through kind of fall. You know, I'm trying to think of any other characteristics of fall we should be thinking about. I mean, you know, hey, stay safe. Leaves on the ground, driving big tree trucks. You know, uh, it's going to take a little longer to stop, mm-hmm. especially when they're wet. So just be safe on the roads. I mean, that kind of goes, it's not really tree work related, but it is because we're driving those big trucks. It absolutely is. And if you're in any kind of hilly train, so again, city of Eugene, we leave piles of leaves in the street until the street sweeper or the, the clean leaf cleanup crews can come through and pick them up, right? So uh, the south port of Eugene is called the South Hills because it's very hilly, right? And you park or try to uh, maneuver your boom truck, you know, off to the side, out of the street there, you drive over this pile of leaves and it's, it's like ice. It's like driving on ice. Oh yeah. You just, you lose all traction and you just, you will slide for a long ways. Yeah. Parking can be a 10 foot process. It, it really <laughs> Stopping can. can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, go ahead. Oh, I keep going. So, I mean, just like you're driving in, in wintry conditions, you know, if you see leaf piles floating around, if you're driving through leaf piles, if, um, you know, you're driving, um, I live rurally, so, um, we don't have obviously any kind of leaf trucks or any kind of anything like that. And we have a bunch of big leaf maples on the street that I live on. Right. So they'll, they'll show their leaves pretty much all at the same time and they'll be nice and piled up on the street. Uh, driving down my hill, which is pretty steep, gets pretty treacherous there for a couple of weeks until you know all the leaves get either broken down or kind of blown off to the side of the street. So if you're in any kind of anything that's not flat, Definitely, definitely watch out. And even if you are in something that's flat and you've got a bunch of leaves on the road, maybe increase that falling distance. Maybe give yourself a little bit of extra time to stop. Oh man, that that reminds me. I uh, 
because it's not just leaves. This time of year, you got to look, think about black ice. Oh, yeah. You get a bad frost at night, get freezing, you know, get rain during the day, and then it gets below freezing at night. And I was driving this truck and chipper kind of up this steep hill, and we were, we were working at a school. Mm-hmm. You kind of go up the hill, and right as you get to the peak of the hill, you would take a right into the driveway, and it was super steep. And then it would it was like a, a little uh, C driveway, you know. So oh, you go yeah. down, you could drop the kids off and pull up. Sure. But down that hill, directly at the bottom of the hill, was the school, uh, you know. And so... I'm driving this big chip truck full of chips for, or probably not full of chips first thing in the morning, but with big chipper on it, big truck. And I am getting to the top of the hill and I start losing traction. So I like kind of, I'm almost to the driveway. So I start gunning it to go over. So I get right to the top of this hill and I start to go over the top of the hill. And I see that there's ice just covering the driveway on the way down as it goes down into the school. So there's no, like, I can't turn there, right? So I stop. I've got the truck and chipper across two lanes of traffic because I was turning and I stopped. So I turned into that lane. The chipper is still in the the other lane. And this was uh, probably 43rd, 44th. Spencer's Butte Middle School there, you know, that you take a right, you go up, and then you turn down into it. Sure, sure. And so it's blocking that whole street. And so I stop, and I I try to, like, back up, and just, like, instantly start sliding as soon as I, so I stop, and, like, I slide and stop, and there's a Subaru right behind me parked on the side of the road. And so I'm in a spot where I can't really go forward or backwards. So I got out of the truck and I just said, all right, I guess we're parking here. Because <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? What do you know? You, right. you know, I'm not going to back into that Subaru or like take, you know, start moving and then just start sliding down into that Subaru yeah, no. or go up in there and slide down into the school. <laughs> so, no, yeah, no. Luckily, I, it was only about a half hour, 45 minutes, okay. you know, it was, you know, uh, uh yeah, it warmed up quick enough. It you know, it was fall. Yeah. But no. <laughs> sorry, all that slippery sliding <sighs> talk got me thinking. <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's a good one, which kind of jogs a, a pretty traumatic memory for me, too. Um, so we, we did a lot of um, a lot of jobs over in the coastal ranges, right? Um, actually, on the coast. So uh, we have the coastal ranges between us and the coast, obviously. And this was, I think it might have been late fall, maybe early winter somewhere around there right so um winter was definitely in the back of our minds ice frost all of that so uh we were driving over in i was in a boom truck and then we had a chip truck with us as well so driving over um in these vehicles driving over the um the passes in the coastal ranges um and the coastal rangers are not quite the same as um the cascade ranges right so if you're familiar with oregon and the geography coastal ranges are they're, they're decent-sized mountains, but they're not anything compared to, like, the Cascades, necessarily. Um, so, driving over, and we've got uh, we've got ice, like, starting to form on the windshield, right? And I'm driving this boom truck, and there's no obviously no um, no windshield wiper fluid. We don't maintain our vehicles super great at this this company. Um, so, I'm, I'm trying to push this windshield wiper fluid through to try to defrost these windows. I've got the, the window defroster cranked all the way up and it's just like it's starting to freeze the windshield wipers it's starting to freeze onto the windshield itself like pretty soon before i know it like 
cresting the top of the coastal ranges, I've just got a sheet of ice for a windshield, right? Oh, in, no. in this boom truck. And I'm like, this is fucked. We, this is a, this is a bad spot to be. We, um, we get to the top of the coastal ranges and then it just gets even frostier, right? We, we start coming down into them and we start seeing frost on the trees. We start seeing frost, uh, you know, just on the ground. We're like, no, we, there's no way. This is obviously like the start of the day. We're driving out to the, the coast to do some work and then we're going to be driving back and like, it's just going to get worse from here. And if we like most, most days at this company that I worked at when we went to the coast to do work, a coastal day would mean that you were out there for probably 12 hours or so. Right. You're not, you're not driving back over the coastal range until like four at the end of the day. Yeah. So you're getting it going and you're getting you're, it coming back too. And it's going to be even worse coming back because you don't have that sun. It's, it's getting colder versus getting warmer with the sun coming up. So I, that was one of the days where I was just like, you know, I called my boss and I'm like, look, my windshield's completely frozen. I can barely see out of it. We've got a chip truck and a boom truck. And this is like, this is not the day for this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, to his credit, he was like, yeah, no, totally come back. We'll find some kind of other work for you, which, you know, that was, that made it really nice, but it was, it was one of those. It's, uh, it gets pretty sketchy in the winter times. Yeah. You just gotta, you just gotta be a little bit more aware, drink that coffee you know, make sure you're on point, get, get well rested because, uh, there's just those little, little hazards out there that you might not be used to, you know, kind of adjusting for the, uh, for the change of the season, change of the season. Going to shift gears a little bit. Well, what else you got here? Unless, unless you're got any other kind of real world changes that go on or think ways to deal with it. But I guess, you know what, this is all ways to deal with real world changes. So, you know, one, I think it's real smart if you're, you know, doing any business to kind of work to your strengths and to understand your environment. And, you know, there's, there's certain strengths you got with winter and fall compared to summer and spring. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are some of the strengths that we can take advantage of? Or I don't even know if strengths is the right word, but just the kind of changes we can take advantage of to optimize our production, optimize our tree work in fall and winter. But how do we prepare for winter and fall? Because I think a big part of optimizing is, you know... Is coming in ready. Is coming in ready and preparing. Mm-hmm. So so what what can you think of to prepare for it? So preparing for it. So depending on, you know, where you're at in the country and what what... Uh, what kind of weather events you're dealing with, you know, you might be entering more of a dormancy season. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you get, um, I know in uh, the Northern States, if you get the, when they get all that snow, it makes it kind of impossible or. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. There's different, understand your local environment for a lot of people, you know, you, where you live is where you've been for years. So you know it. Right. But if you're new to a place or I'd challenge you, even if you're, been at, at a place for a long time try to figure out maybe something a little less subtle mm-hmm. about where you're at right yeah yeah versus um so if we're talking about northern states you know obviously they're going to be buried under snow for a, a significant number of months over the year if you're somewhere in like florida or southern california you know winter means maybe a little bit more rain for you um a little bit less sun but it's not it's like the change is drastic for you because it, it, you're localized to that area, right? But the change for someone from Oregon who, you know, we have rain uh, nine months, ten months out of the year. Depending. Yeah. Um, 
So somebody from Oregon who sees rain, you know, consistently, you know, that's, that's not as drastic, drastic of a change. Like for us, it's more of like, we get some of the ice and some of a little bit more of the snow, depending on the year versus like somebody in the Northern States, specifically like the Northeastern States, like they get just mountains of snow, which if we get mountains of snow here in Oregon, like it's basically the apocalypse kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Things just fucking shut down. Yeah. People forget how to drive. Trees are breaking right and left. It's crazy when we get even, you know, six inches or a foot of snow. Right, right. So the seasonality of your local, like, area that you're in will, you know, obviously dictate how you prepare for it or how you maybe don't prepare for it as much or maybe you don't have to do any kind of prep at all because you're in a more, like, temperate climate, the one that stays pretty much even keel or pretty much the same all year round. Yeah, so just a little heads up preparing for this episode we looked at a couple YouTube videos. We checked out some, you know, talked to some friends that live in, you know, more wintry climates. Uh, so we'll we'll be talking about what we do in those situations. But we live, you know, if you listen to the show, you know, we live in Oregon. So we're really more experts in this environment. So if we misspeak on some of that winter stuff, send us an email and tell us because we want to learn. That being said... Please bear with us. Yeah, Yeah, we're just idiots. Remember that. So I say we stick to, or we don't stick to, but we start with kind of what we do here to prepare. And then we'll kind of, you know, kind of just give some of the tips of what we've heard for other places. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, You know, I'll start with one of the basics. Mulchings. Mulchings. You can mulch the trees. It's going to give it a little bit of insulation from like super cold. So... It's also going to break down, feed the roots. It's going to regulate the temperature and the moisture of the soil. So when you're, when you're talking about a mulching, are you talking about like piling it right up against the tree like a volcano? Exactly. like a vol- it's, So it's like the tree is growing out of a volcano. <laughs> that, that's what I thought. That's what, I see so many pictures of it. Yeah, that. no. It, it Put the ring in the mulching. Make sure there's a nice empty center where the tree is coming out of. As a matter of fact, you you don't want the mulch to be actually touching the base of the tree if you no. can at all, at all avoid it. Obviously, when you put the mulch down, wind and animals and all kinds of stuff are going to knock the mulch into the, the tree eventually. But if you give it that nice, nice separation, you're keeping that decaying wood material away from the base of the tree, and it's able to provide all the benefits that we'll talk about, but it's also not trapping moisture up against the tree and trapping decay organism up against the base of the tree itself. Yeah, because you want to you want to hold the moisture on the feeder roots. Mm-hmm. That's where you want the moisture and the nutrients to be breaking down because that's where the tree can absorb it. I mean, this is pretty basic if you're an arborist for a while, but you know sometimes it's good to understand the basics of why you're doing something because then you might understand better why you don't create a mulch volcano. Right, and you don't want and you know most. Most properly stocked trees don't have feeder roots on the trunk themselves. As a matter of fact, that's a problem when they start putting them out there. They'll they'll do it if you do the mulch volcano. That's something we see every year because mm-hmm. a lot of the city trees, when they're first planted, are mulched. And people will push. It's crazy. People don't understand. And people, I mean, a, a lot of times they're good intentions, but they'll push the mulch back up against the trunk. Like, yeah. oh, man, what knocked this away? It's like, oh. It, it, was, it was on there on purpose. Yeah. They're on purpose. That's all of the plant you know but so uh and i like to think of putting somewhere between two and six inches of mulch Mm -hmm. um and you know i have i haven't seen a study on this this is just purely observation Mm -hmm. 
I know a bunch of people that would put tons of mulch on their mature trees. Sure. You know, in their orchard, they'd put a couple feet of mulch on because in a few months it would break down to about six inches. In a year, you might be putting more mulch on. Right, right. You know, and they've got access to dump truck, you know, chip trucks full of mulch. So they're just putting it on, you know, you hear how good it is. Right. But I've noticed those trees, a lot of those trees, you'll come back 10 years later after they've been doing it for a long time and they'll be buried so deep. And when they put the mulch on, they're not putting the mulch onto the tree. Uh, you know, they're not piling it up against the trunk. They're doing it properly. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, one, just it erodes against the trunk. But two, and th- again, this is my own theory. I'm not saying this is right or how it happens, but I kind of wonder about it. Mm-hmm. If tons of mulch like that on tree roots over a long period of time, because you got to think about trees, you think in decades, don't think in years, you know, think in decades. So a couple decades or a decade of, uh, of chips constantly being, it's going to hold moisture in that soil. It's going to create a much softer soil. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the tree actually sinks a few inches into the ground, because you're talking about a whole lot of weight pressing down on a soil that's now retaining a lot more moisture and I could be f- way far off here. This is just my own theory and it like, yeah, yeah. but I, all it would take is a few inches down and that tree's in trouble. And I've seen people really good local arborists that, you know, and I help spread the chips. This isn't, you know, I'm not criticizing anybody, mm-hmm. but, and then all of a sudden, you know, 10 years in, you notice, oh man, that is really deep. I don't remember it being that deep. Right. And then 15, 20 years in the tree's dead. Because right. it's, you know, it's too, it's too deep. Down. So that's, that's one of my personal theories. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if recommending is the right word. Cause recommending might imply that I know what I'm talking about here, but sure, sure. my, you know, I'm kind what, of what telling you, what, people, what do you do with your trees? Yeah. What I'm telling people is I only do a couple inches mm-hmm. of mulch and, uh, don't like, you know, maybe don't, tr- unless the soil, unless you're, the goal is to change the soil because it's just clay. Right. Maybe don't do it so crazy that you're changing the whole environment that that tree's in. Right, right. Because there's also a lot of bacteria, and so a, a lot of these trees have had root rot issues. Sure. And so I wonder if you're putting all that decaying chips, if that if there's any wounds in that tree for that decay to get into, then in. it'll find a way in, and if it doesn't compartmentalize it, it could be an issue. So while chips, I definitely recommend them. Mm-hmm. I, there's a couple things, a couple long-term experiments that I would love to see results to yep. on putting chips on mature trees. I think young trees might be able to handle it better. One, they're not as heavy, right? which sounds crazy. The weight of a tree sinking it into the ground, but there, it could theoretically something could happen. You it, know what I mean? It could potentially happen. I think so. Are, my, my theory from, cause I, I've, I've seen, I've, I've seen an experience exactly what you're talking about. Um, and my theory for that, so let's back up a little bit. Let's, let's talk about like, what are chips trying to mimic in nature? Right. So yeah. they're trying to mimic those leaves and that woody debris that is falling off of let's, so trees grow in a forest, right? So that, yeah, they are doing, yeah. Yeah. Right. The kind of duff in the forest, the duff in the forest. Right. So if you're transplanting those to a city landscape, which obviously we're, 
talking about here, uh, trees in like a landscaped yard or in somebody's house or even in, you know, farmland, that farmland isn't natural farmland, you know. We've bastardized that land. We've scraped it down to the soil. We've put crops on it. And then maybe we've replanted trees on it. Maybe at one time it was a dump. Maybe at one time it was like there's a, you know, land is around for a long time, right? So it's not necessarily in the native state that it was. So we're trying to mimic that native state, something you go out into the forest. Like when we go out into the forest and do some of our recreational tree climbs, you can step into the soil there and it is, it's deep. Like it is deep, loamy. um, But you think about those forests mm -hmm. and like, yeah, those trees are, the ones we're climbing a lot of times are way bigger than what we find in in town. But it's a whole forest of interwoven root systems. Right. And it's, uh, I mean, it's on such different scale. And, you know, it, it's like, and the other thing is they, evo- like, they evolve together. Right. A lot of what I'm talking about is trees that were already mature. And I've even seen them start to tip over mm-hmm. because people put too much soil and it softens the soil and all of a sudden the tree becomes unstable. Right. What, what I'm getting at is kind of a sense of scale. So it takes millennia to create some of those old growth yeah. forests that we're talking about. That duff layer has been there for millennia, right? Yeah. You, you pile up mulch over a 10-year period. Like a 10-year period is a drop in the bucket. Trees can't adapt to that. No. Like that's that's way too much change, way too quickly. Again, you're thinking... You're not thinking in terms of years. You're ter- thinking in terms of decades or for mature trees, depending on the species, you know, it could be a 500, 300 year. Like you, you might be talking in terms of like half a century to a full century as far as like planning for that tree. Right. So yeah. you really want to be as minimal in your changes, which is why if you go with more of like a two inch, you know, air more towards the, the two inch side as far as mulch you're probably going to be safer off and you're not going to be having a lot of those issues or you're not going to be shocking the system as quickly as you could with, um, you know, trying to really just uh, speed along that change as quickly as possible. Totally. And the other thing that's real interesting to think about when you're dealing with mature trees is where are those feeder roots? Mm -hmm. A lot of times you hear they're at the, you know, I always heard they're at the, you know, the drip edge of the canopy. But for a real mature tree, they could be way further out there. Oh, yeah. So if you're piling the chips around the trunk, you're probably not hitting the most feeder roots. And those feeder roots that are like spread out like a web, those are probably the ones that hold it up the most. Where if it's just like a handful of big roots that come out, they might not, you know, they might be more susceptible to the softening of the soil. Right, right. You know, because you don't have as much, yeah, surface area on there. Definitely. So, I don't know. Again, I, this is not something that I, I read in a paper or even online. This is just something that I've kind of made up as I've observed stuff. You're just, you're speaking from experience and not necessarily from like a scientific. No, so from an individual's experience. Yeah, exactly. Not from like a scientific test that's been, uh, well, I have seen it in multiple trees. Right. But this is just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not a scientific paper. You don't have, you don't have a, like a, a, a sample and then a, a test subject and then whatever, whatever, but it's yeah, just. Exactly. And so I guess to make a long story short, go do six inches on your little trees, mm-hmm. do a couple feet. So long as it's not up against the trunk on little trees, because if you just plant it or planted it within the last four or five years, it's not going to be big enough to have issues that like what we're talking about. 
and that wood is going to break down and feed those roots, which are going to be right at the base. And so long as you have plenty of space at the base, so you're not going to uh, uh, volcano the tree, mm-hmm. you're going to be all right. And you're setting up that tree for success. Exactly. You're really giving it the natural fertilizer that's going to be great for it. Yep. But for big, mature trees, put some chips on now and then, but just understand it's a different process. It's a different beast. Understand the soil soil you're dealing with. And I really encourage you to think of why are you putting chips on there? Mm-hmm. What what are the benefits? And then maybe monitor it, not over months or a year, but monitor over, you know, hey, I put some now. A couple of years later, I put some, hey, how's the soil look? How's the tree doing? Right. Check out the base of the tree. Does it need more chips? Right. You know, some of those questions could apply. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a good, uh, a good analogy to like pruning. Like when you talk about pruning a mature tree, you're not taking, you know, 20, 25% of the live canopy out of the tree, right? You're aiming more for like the five to 10% range. Yeah. Right. Cause these are, these are old things. These are, you know, something that has been around for potentially many human lifetimes. Yeah. And if you're going through and, you know, taking out all this, all this canopy, you could potentially be harming that tree super detrimentally. So again, a light touch when it comes to the old mature trees, whether it comes to mulching or pruning, that's going to be your best bet. Yep. Younger younger trees, you know, obviously they're still growing so they can handle a little bit more. Yeah. I like that. I like, you know, cause so often we talk about pruning, but forget about the roots, Mm -hmm. but I love making that comparison. And you know, that I think that's very applicable. Um, let's see. We talked about mulching trees uh, this time of year is a great time of year for planting trees, yep. which goes along with mulching trees. It does, it, depending on your climate. So in Oregon, we don't have those harsh, heavy winters, yeah, right? Yeah, fair enough. Um, and we don't have the harsh, heavy frost. So we plant trees in the uh, fall time. They That allows them to get those full, you know, several months of rainfall to kind of allow those feeder roots to continue to grow, allow the tree to get nice and rooted, uh, we don't have obviously severe winds or anything like that, so you know that's not as much of a factor. So those those trees are allowed to establish really well, and then by the time springtime comes, we have to water them a lot less because here in Oregon we have pretty dry summers um, for you know about three months. Uh, we'll periodically get some rains, but um, I'll, recently it's been trending more. You know, basically from June until uh, August, September ish, uh, it'll be pretty dry, which you know. Uh, can have some pretty detrimental effects on new trees that you're trying to establish. Uh, if you, you know, plant them at the like very end of spring and then they go through a full summer without any added um, supplemental rain or supplemental water, um, you know, you're probably setting it up not for the best success, right? Yeah. You know, and that, the other thing when you're talking about uh, the temperature Obviously, this goes back to me not fully understanding really cold climates. So, yeah, un, you know, if it if it's going to be just frozen rock solid all year, maybe plant in spring. Maybe, yep. You know, the if you're kind of on the edge or if you, you know, if you've planted the tree, you're in a climate more like Oregon, but you all of a sudden realize, hey, I put these in the ground, but you're going to get like a really fr- uh, cold spell coming through. Uh, mulch is great for that. It is. Another thing that I've seen people do is pile up leaves. Yeah. And just kind of bury the tree in the leaf pile. Now that kind of goes against the volcano thing because you're going to be holding some moisture in. So maybe not always have it there. 
But when that cold spell hits, if it's going to be freezing, one, uh, having the leaves there are going to kind of hold some heat in. And so that moisture, the tree can handle the moisture for, uh, you know, you wouldn't want it to always be in a pile of leaves, but that'll help protect it against those really cold temperatures. Yeah, it'll add some insulation. And I've even seen people, depending on the species, um, so what I've seen it with a lot, here is people will try to plant tropical trees. So something yeah. like a, a banana tree or something like that, right? Yep. They'll actually make like a little mini greenhouse around the tree, like yeah. a small banana tree. Like they'll just wrap it in like what looks like cellophane. Um, sometimes they'll do it uh, directly against the trunk. Um, that is something I've seen. Um, it seems to have, you know, decent success. Obviously you want to make sure that you're, you know, very closely monitoring that and that you're, um, you know, pulling that off at appropriate intervals. So it's not girdling the tree you're not leaving plastic in the tree because you know that would be pretty bad my my grandfather had yeah they moved up to eugene from uh, woodland california mm-hmm. and he always loved having lemon trees oh nice so he transplanted a myers lemon up here when he moved up here oh wow and he built a pvc structure around it and kept it pruned small oh, and you. covered it in plastic and i think it my grandpa passed away four years ago i think and before he passed away, he got to a point where he couldn't take care of it. And we transplanted this big lemon tree over to a friend's house who was able to, who is still taking care of it. And as far as I know, as of a year or so ago, last I heard about it, it was going strong. And it went through, we had negative nine, was it, or negative 13? So, yeah, so I, I've heard both those uh, temperatures uh-huh. uh, probably six years ago here. Mm-hmm. And well, six, seven years ago now. Either way, it made it through those temperatures. You know, I mean, it had the PVC with the uh, plastic covering and a little heating light in with it through those temperatures. And it definitely got stressed from that. Right. But it made it. It made it. You know, so, yeah, there's ways. You, if you want to get, if you want to use your ingenuity, if you want to get all fancy. You're going to get them, them fancies. Then, uh, you, you know, have fun with it. And you know what? Send us pictures or tell us how it goes because I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that is... That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, stuff like peaches for this, you know, find a cultivar that can handle your environment. You know, there's some peaches, there's some figs that we can hand, that can be planted here and do all right, do great. Yeah. And a lot that just cannot. Just cannot. And watch out if there's, if there's a sell, a sale on uh, nursery trees of peaches and, and you're, it's the end of the year and they're just really trying to get rid of them. It might be because they know it's not going to survive that environment. Yeah, it's it's probably, if the deal's too good to be true, it's probably too good There to could be, be something to it. <laughs> and peaches. We had a peach tree at the first house that we, we we owned, and, God, the peaches on that were incredible. I really want to plant another peach tree. Those things are great. I don't remember the cultivar of it, but. Yeah, well, we'd have to get dug on. Yeah. He's got some really good peaches. Man, we we had Doug on one episode for a little bit. We yeah. just kind of called him out of the blue. <laughs> we did. We did. But uh, we'll need to have him on again. That guy's a wealth of knowledge. Because he knows so much about fruit trees and fruit tree pruning. A matter of fact, that's something I want to do an episode on fruit tree pruning. And, yeah, I know a few people that are just certified masters of fruit tree, fruit pruning. tree pruning. I don't know if they've got the uh, certified master degree, but experience is your best teacher and they've got bucket loads of it so we'll uh coming down the pike we got some fruit tree pruning episodes to look into but before we get to that we'll 
Back to the podcast. Back we'll to save, the podcast. We'll save that for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. A good thing you can sell in the winter time is fertilizing. Yeah. Because that's something, you know, when, when the soil's wet, and there's a lot of moisture, that's a great time to be fertilizing. It helps spread that mycorrhizae or whatever you're fertilizing with, it helps spread it through the soil. Yeah, yeah, it percolates down into the roots and percolates down to the soil. Yeah, so that that's another good thing. Uh, I like to use fertilizers with mycorrhizae. Yeah. You can find it online, BioLive. It's made by Down to Earth, a, a local company here, but they ship it all around the world. Um, and BioLive with mycorrhizae is a great fertilizer. You don't have to worry about burning the roots. You, I mean, you can pour the whole bag on. Um, and it, it's not, you know, you'd be wasting a lot of fertilizer. It'd be pretty stinky. I don't recommend it, but you're not going to hurt the trees, you know? And so, especially if you're sending crews out of people that, you know, have, don't have degrees and, uh, you don't have to worry about the new kid coming up and messing up your client's tree. Yeah. And how do you, uh, what's the application? Cause it sounds like you have a lot of experience on it. What's the application? You just kind of sprinkle a little bit around the base of the tree. You kind of, so you can, uh, when I'm planting trees, I'll mix it in with the dirt as I'm putting dirt back in. Sure. And, uh, I've done it where I've taken, uh, put holes in the ground, mm-hmm. you know, um, and filled the holes up and, you know, like taken, I've done it where I took a rock bar and just boom, poked a hole. Right. Filled it and every it. couple feet, put a hole in mm-hmm. on a grid throughout a whole big tree and then just filled each one of those holes. Interesting. And, yeah. uh, but On the bag, it says you can just scatter it. Okay. You know, I did that because I wanted what I was wanted. If you just scatter it, it's a little stinkier. Right, right, right. You know, you can kind of get more into the soil Mm -hmm. and then, you know, it will wash through and, you know, but, uh, really for, for my, at my house, when I put that on, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of lawn. Right. So I don't have to worry about that. I got, you know, chips or dirt around a lot. And so I'll just kind of spread it around the base and then just kind of rake over the dirt so it doesn't just blow away. Gotcha. You know, and then just, if it's summertime, I'll even just water it real good. Hmm. Give the tree some water and help soak it in. If it's wintertime, I'll just wait for the next rain to come. Yeah. So uh, mycorrhizae, uh, obviously you mentioned um, like fertilizers and stuff. Uh, should we go into mycorrhizae a little bit? Like what, what exactly is mycorrhizae? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so... Mycorrhizae is a um, fungal, um, a, um, what, do you, what do you call that? It's not a parasite. It's opposite of a parasite. It's a Symbi- symbiote. Uh, yes, yep. symbiote. So it's symbiotic with tree roots, right? So it'll yep. it'll form these fungal nodes on tree roots, and it will actually, it, it, uh, it takes nutrients from the tree, obviously, and it helps that tree uptake water and other nutrients, right? I've heard mostly it's water, but I'm sure there's other nutrients that it's helping. I believe so. I'm far from an expert on it, but I think it it's like a, a fungus, right? That yes, it, it will spread out. Mm-hmm, It'll right. have like these little white like threads that spread out, and those will pull in nutrients and moisture to the roots, I believe. Yeah, yep. So yep. it, it kind of adds to the root system. Now, one thing I've heard about it is it's not the type of thing that you – you, you know, you don't put some on now and then six months later put more on and then six months later you put more on. No. You, you put it on and it's just going to start taking off in the soil. It's an inoculation. It's like, um, I don't know if you, uh, anybody has experience with like using like a Petri dish, but you don't sit there and keep adding. So like 
Petri dishes, you know, they're uh, just basically food for bacteria, right? And you'll take and you'll take your sample of bacteria and we'll spread it on the Petri dish and it grows naturally, right? Versus you don't sit there and keep adding stuff to the Petri dish like over and over and over again. You're just going to be destroying the, the stuff that's already there. Exactly. So, so, you know, it's not something some people like to be able to make that recurring fertilizer sale. Right. It's not necessarily that, but when you're talking about being beneficial for the tree, it is exactly that. Yep. yep. So, uh, yeah, mycorrhizin is great. Again, I'm not an expert, so uh, Google it. Google it. You'll learn a lot more than you'll learn from me. Yep. Let's see. Let's. Uh, what let, about what about the seasonality of like the type of? So you're you're talking about fertilizer. What about like the specific type for a tree worker? You know, somebody who's climbing every day. Uh, what what kind of impacts would you see in like colder months? Like, would you maybe tailor your t- uh, your work a little bit differently? Oh, like pruning? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, first off, you know, we were talking about thousand canker disease, right? Sure. Now, I don't know if th- thousand canker falls under this, but some trees uh, like Dutch elm mm-hmm. or oak wilt, yep. some of those things, the insects that spread those aren't out and about when it's cold. Right. So that's a great time to prune those trees. Definitely. You know, so if you understand the the pests that you have in your area um, and understand if they're not coming out during winter, you know, maybe you can prune on that elm tree and it's going to have some time to compartmentalize and heal the wounds and be able to not be sending out those uh, stressed chemicals by the time those insects are out again. So, definitely, you know, there's there's something to be said for understanding the way the, uh, you know, the pests or the fungus or whatever you're dealing with in your area handles the winter because there could be benefits to when you prune what you prune. Right. Yeah, and, and with that as well, you also have the seasonality of just like the, the um, potentially the wetness or potentially the snowfall or the freezing temperatures that are going on, right? So I know for me, I'm not a huge fan of limb walking in a, on a rainy day. It's just not my favorite thing to do. I've done it, and I've done a lot because we live in Oregon, and it's just, it's kind of... You don't want to climb a sycamore in a rainstorm? Yeah, believe it or not, just, you know, <laughs> uh, climbing an ice rink is not my favorite thing to do. But if we, you can tailor your work in a certain way, so maybe maybe you load your winters. If you have a bunch of, um, you know, a, a bunch of removals, maybe you give, like, discounts for somebody if they, you know, have you come back out to do that removal in the, in the dead of winter. So you can backload your your work orders with more removals in the winter time. Yeah, and then you can do those prunings. Obviously, you know, depending on the species, you don't want to be pruning an oak in the middle of the summer. You don't want to prune be pruning a an elm tree in the middle of the summer, right? Because of, again, because of those pathogens that could potentially impact them. But if you can tailor those for more of the months when it's not as wet and cold go through and prune them, do your limb walks on those, and then do the removals, which, you know, not not necessarily, you're not, you're taking out larger pieces, so limb walking is less of a necessity, and you're also in spurs, so. Yeah, well, and it's it's not just limb walking, but, you know, if the ground's frozen, mm-hmm. you you can drop bigger pieces without causing the damage to the ground. I've heard of a lot of people doing that, plus your cleanup, if you're removing a big tree that's covered in leaves, you've got that much more cleanup with all those leaves. Definitely. You do it in the winter, you don't have all that cleanup. Definitely. You know, so there, there's definitely 
advantages to doing removals i mean obviously some removals you got to take care of it right away and so you might have to do it in the summertime and in the same way that there's pruning you know like a fruit tree a lot of times you know i'll try to prune fruit trees at different times of the year right you know i'll do one pruning in the winter and i can really focus on some of the structural elements of the pruning because i can see the structure much better i can see the defects a lot better there's there's an advantage to being able to see what's going on in the tree there. And then in the uh, in the summertime when there's leaves, I might prune the fruit tree to bring it down. I might not do as much structural stuff, but I might do some more of the condensing stuff that will help encourage the lateral growth. Right. So, you know, there's different aspects of fruit tree pruning for sure that benefit winter and summer pruning. You know, the same way there's uh, removals that are summer and winter, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in understanding the benefits of doing that removal in the winter and doing the pruning in the summer. And if you can kind of work with your clients and have them put something off, you know, for a few months to, to help kind of work with your workflow, not just your workflow, but maybe help work with their yard, their trees also. Mm-hmm. And during the, you know, winter times, at least in my experiences and, uh, obviously your experiences too. And most people I talk to the winter times, people aren't outside as much. So they're not looking at the, at the trees. So you're not getting as much work. So again, if you're kind of um, backloading some of those removals and pushing them off to winter time, you know, that's able to maybe help you s- sustain yourself through those, um, you know, less uh, hectic, less, um, less work filled uh, seasons of the year. Right. Yeah. And one other thing kind of tying this, this was a, a thought that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier today, not in the podcast, but when we were talking out in the field, um, but tying a, a planting into all of your removals. You know, if you, if you think about uh, a removal, obviously that's a big, usually one of the biggest paychecks that you'll get from tree care is usually from a removal, right? You're, you're doing this large job, you're bringing in a lot of potentially heavy equipment. It's a big paycheck, right? but it's a one-time thing. Like you remove the tree, you might come back to grind the stump. That's, that's it, right? That, that paycheck's done. It's not going to be providing you any more income from that tree. So uh, usually we err less on the side of removals and less, or me personally, I usually err less on the side of removals and I try to uh, promote preservation, you know, um, try to maintain that tree for as long as possible while you're getting all those benefits. That being said, if you can, if you can, um, you know, work with your clientele to not only remove that tree, but then also to replant it once it's removed, obviously very situationally dependent. Um, you know, it depends on the, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but rule of thumb, if you can try to get them to replant and then put a new tree in there and then you can sell them on that, uh, continued maintenance of that tree. Like ideally, you know, an arborist should be able to come into a property, look at a tree. And then if you're, if you're a good arborist, if you're a good company, if you've got a good relationship with your client, you should be able to service that tree for as long as you're an arborist or as long as that tree's around or as long as that client is alive, right? So you should be able to like go from, uh, you know, caring for a tree, the removal of the tree, the replanting of a new tree, and then the caring for that new tree, you know, for as long as, uh, as possible, right? So there, there could be that continuity. So it's not just about, you know, the big pay, you shouldn't just be focusing on the big paycheck, the big removal, the big, uh, you know, big takedown or whatever. You should be thinking long-term um, if you have your own company. And uh, that could be, you know, provide you with a lot of benefits that you wouldn't normally get. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you're getting the best of both worlds if you can 
if they want you to remove it, you can get the money for removal, but then you can replant. Then you can also get that long-term client, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's one of the downsides to removals is you, you lose that work, right? Like you, it's that, that's the one time one off job is the removal. If you got that planting though, you're building in some long-term relationships, hopefully. Right. You and, know. and planting itself there, it's pretty funky. So in Oregon, you have to have a separate license in order to plant trees, which is completely stupid. Certified arborists should be able to plant a tree under one license, but that's just not the way it works. But in certain other jurisdictions, you can actually plant the tree, and there is you know some hoops that you have to jump through and all of that. But uh, you know, planting the tree itself isn't necessarily very uh, economically you know juicy, I guess, yeah. like compared to a, a big removal, right? Like you're you're making you know a small percentage of the the price of the tree because you have to buy a tree, procure a tree, and then provide all the, um, like supporting materials, the mulch and the soil amendments and the stakes and all of that. Well, hopefully you add that to the bid. Yeah. Yeah. No, ab- yeah, obviously yeah. Add, a, add that to the bid, but it's not, you're not necessarily making that big fat paycheck from the rule. Right. But yeah. it's that long-term maintenance. It's that, um, I guess for lack of a better word, it's kind of like a subscription model, which the whole world seems to be moving towards a sub- subscription model. Right. It's a, a subscription model for trees. It's like, okay, you can sell them on the planting and then you can sell them on the one-year pruning, the five-year pruning, the 10-year pruning. And then, you know, you'll, you'll be creating much stronger, more resilient trees that will be able to withstand some of these winter storms. Yeah, You're stoking out your client because you're, you know, you, you're um, walking the talk, I guess. And uh, you have a good uh, solid revenue stream. So everybody's happy yep. at the end of the day. Yep. No, and that... You know, that's uh, another idea. We were kind of talking today about different winter ideas and just kind of getting crazy outside the box to just try to think up something a little different, right? And one of the things uh, that I've, I've never done this, but I've talked about it as an idea in the past, is I wonder if you could set up some kind of subscription type of model with like, you know, I'm not talking about just every client. Mm-hmm. but maybe find your 10 best clients and send them like get a brochure or get, you know, a way, whatever, how, I, if you know, if they're your best clients, you should know them real good. Maybe it's a personal phone call, mm-hmm. get a hold of them and try to sell them on, Hey, for 15 bucks a month for 20 bucks a month. You know, if they're your best clients, they might be able to afford an extra 20 bucks a month. Say, you'll have our winter storm package, which means if a storm comes through in any of the winters that you're paying that 20 bucks a month, you're getting preferential treatment. And maybe it's more than 20 bucks a month. I'm, you know, I'm just kind of throwing the idea. You figure out the pricing for you and your market and your clients. But say, I will come and I will check in with you when that big storm hits. And I will make sure the tree that we've been taking care of is all right. And if it's not, we're going to bump you to the top of the list. And we'll get you taken care of. We'll get you taken care of before we get other people taken care of. What that will do is that'll generate a little bit of income. You know, 20 bucks a month isn't like a ton of income, but you get that for 10 clients. I mean, depending on how big your crew is, maybe you could do more, maybe you couldn't do feel comfortable selling it to 10 clients. But you're generating a little bit of income for nothing. Yep. That's 100 bucks. Except for if a storm hits, they're expecting you to come take care of them. Right. That means you've got a client. Right. And so one of the things that's hard when you when a storm first hits 
is all of a sudden that first day you get calls of people that are panicked but you got to go out you got to do a bid you got to wait to get that bid back it, you know sometimes there's a a little bit of a lag time there and you got crews waiting around to go do this work well maybe you're figuring out a couple jobs where you know you've already got it figured out they're your you know they're your best clients you're going right there you'd probably be going right there anyways cuz they're your 10 best clients right right they be they have you on speed dial exactly but you're calling them and maybe you're getting a crew there even faster mm-hmm. maybe part of having that uh that uh, service is you have a contract ready to go so they know they don't even have to sign a contract right all they got to do is send that contract and you could give them a contract ready to go that says uh, this is my time and material service to for any storm work that is covered for one of the month you know for while I'm on this service and so all they got to do is sign it and send it in and they got a crew coming their way so you might even be streamlining your own storm response with a service like that. Plus, you're making a couple extra bucks in the slow time. Right, right. You know, so try to think out of the box and see if there's a way, you know, like you say, the whole world's going to a subscription model. See if there's a way you can go to a subscription model with your company. Now, we're, Tree Thinking is not going to a subscription model. We want to make sure that no, people no. can hear it for free. We're not hinting here at anything. No. We we don't make a whole lot of money doing this. It'd be great if we did. If hey, if someone wants to to pay us money to put an ad on this, I would love to take someone's money. But I'm not going to take money in a way that will cut anybody off from hearing it. So, <laughs> no. while the rest of the world is going to a subscription model, Tree Thinking Podcast, you heard it here first on the Tree Thinking Podcast, is not going that direction. A day late and a dollar short. That's how we do it. That's right. <laughs> we're stuck in the Stone Ages, and hey, we're we're going to talk to you from them. Yeah. So, but you know, kind of the idea is, you know, finding ways you can think outside the box. In the winter, it slows down a little bit until that storm hits. So think about how you can gear your business in a way to, you know, plant trees, fertilize trees, find these extra services that come in those downtimes. And so this is the next thing. If you've got downtime, how can you prepare your company? You know, this time of year hits, fall hits, storm season's right around the corner. What can you do for your company to make sure you're ready for storm season? Maybe pull out those big saws, start sharpening them. Maybe yeah. maybe get a backlog of like sharpened chain. Maybe start, you know, prepping some of your saws that don't necessarily get a lot of use. Uh, maybe start winterizing them, you know, bleeding out the the gasoline, uh, you know, running them until they're completely empty and then storing them on the shelf until you need them, whether it's a storm situation or whether you don't use them again until the next spring, right? Uh, maintain your equipment. That was a good time to start, you know, maybe prioritizing, maintaining that equipment, putting off, you know, that, that chipper maintenance that you've been putting off all summer long because, you know, there's just one more job and, you know, I'd I'd like to spend an hour doing this, but you know, we can be making money instead. Yeah. Maybe prioritize that now, huh? And take the time. Maybe, maybe you got a great worker. And so you've had him out in the field producing work. Well, now you don't have a lot of work. So it's like, Oh God, how am I going to be able to afford him? Right. Well, we all know winter's coming. So maybe put a little money away in the downtime. And maybe put one day a week towards, you know, tree school. Like Rob's talked about at Sperry, they have tree school. Maybe put in a day a week where you teach that guy how to tape, how to maintain your saws, how to work on your chipper, how to do some of that stuff. Sometimes our equipment has something we've been been putting off. 
get that done. If it's something big for a truck, that, you know, and you, well, why do we put it off? Well, because we don't want the truck down because we're not making money while the truck's down. Get that taken care of when you got work slow. Maybe just cut a certain amount of time where you cut the jobs back because you know you're not going to have your main rig because it's going to be in the shop for a month. Right. Get that taken care of in the slow time. That way you can get the production done and it's ready to go if you have a storm or when the work comes back. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good time to really lick your wounds, consolidate, you know, after like a crazy, maybe potentially a crazy summer where you've just been go, go, go. It's a good time to kind of take a step back, reevaluate, do a lot of those jobs that you'd been putting off and just kind of take a deep breath and get ready for potentially an insane winter uh, with the coming storms, maybe. Yeah. Depending on where you live. Another good thing is uh, put time into a promotion. You know, people people love companies that work with them a little bit. And I'm not a big fan of devaluing what we do, right? But maybe you give a little bit of a discount. Hey, we got a, you know, winter time's a slow time, winter time discount for removals. You want to do winter removals in the winter time anyways? So tell people, hey, we're giving this discount on a removal, so... This is a good time of year to get that done. And I don't and I don't necessarily see that as devaluing it because in a lot of ways it's meeting both of your needs. You know, you're giving them a cheaper price, but it's also they're making it easier on you by scheduling this work during this time of year, right? Yeah. So it's 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 not devaluing your work. It's just like, oh hey, you're making it easier on me by, you know, trying to meet me, um, meet me where I'm coming from. So I'm gonna kick you this little bit of an incentive to, you know, make it sweeter for both of us. Yeah. And then, you know, there's another thing that uh, you can do is a lot of times, uh, I know a lot of people that have big log yards. You know, they're doing removals, they're doing work, they're bringing home a bunch of yard, uh, wood and dumping it in their yard and they get a big pile of uh, chips or a big pile of firewood. Uh, maybe wintertime's a good time to, you know, rent a wood splitter, get your guys out there with chainsaws, process that wood, split it up. If you got enough, hell, you might even be able to sell it. You got to do something with it anyways. I mean, selling firewood and processing firewood isn't exactly anybody's favorite thing to do. That's hard work. But, you know, someone might appreciate doing that instead of losing their job. Yeah. And that could clear out your log yard and make some space so you can fill it up when the removals and when the summer hits again. Yeah, and even if you're not necessarily paying, you know, even if you're not necessarily making a huge profit, you might be you know, filling out your payroll, you might be paying your people, which yeah, those little things add up. There's an old saying, the profit is in the pennies. And I've found that is very true. Uh, whether you're talking about business or your home or really exercising anything, it's this, it's not, you know, most of the money is going towards it, but it's that last little bit above, as soon as you get from the red to the black, there might just be a little bit, but each penny counts for extra at that point. So remember, profits in the pennies. If there's something you can be doing now that will help you get that profit later, or if it's a little project now that keeps people employed, that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, some of the stuff that uh, I've heard people talk about when it gets too cold to do tree work, and that does exist, is, you know, that's that's a good time to do training. You know, we touched on that with tree school and whatnot, but we can go through and we can help educate uh, some of our workforce. You know, 
it's if you can keep people employed i know it sucks because that's one of your biggest expenses if you own a tree company is payroll but keeping happy employees that are feeling very loyal pays off double when that storm hits if you've laid them off and every tree company is looking in town and they don't feel like they got let laid you know laid off fairly they might be working for your competitor when when the storm hits and they come calling so you know keeping them happy even if it's giving them a part-time job splitting wood training them how to take care of gear stuff like that uh in the moment that it can be hard for the business but long term there's the potential for it really paying off extra when you need the loyalty of that employee definitely yeah and and investing in your employees is definitely something that i mean that that is something that you will you'll see major dividends from that like that is just a huge huge thing that a lot of companies just i feel like completely miss it's just it's so simple but it's so hard for a lot of people to grasp like just take care of your employees you know that groundsman who's been you know busting his ass for you all summer long and now you're starting to get into maybe the slower season maybe see if you can send him up a tree a little bit maybe you've got a small job you know it's the only job for the day get him get him some training in, in some spurs get him some training in some felling that's a really good point if work gets slow don't have your top climber out there pushing that top climber might have been pushing for the last six months and given him a little bit of a break might go a long way in training that new guy, getting him in the tree. It's going to take a while. We've all, we were all there in the beginning. You know, we all know what it's like to kind of fumble through your first few trees. You got to do it sometime. Might as well have them do it when work's slow. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, and an, another one, uh, from kind of, uh, co- colder environments is snow plowing. Oh yeah. A lot of companies will do the snowplow thing. They'll get uh, snow plowing contracts. And uh, I know nothing about it because I haven't done it, but I've, I saw on many resources people talking about how they do that. So, you know, maybe look into what it takes to get a plow that hooks onto the front of your tree truck and, uh, you know, put the word out there that you're the new Mr. Plow in town. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, I don't have a lot of personal experience with it either. Obviously born and raised in Oregon, but my wife is from the North Shore at Lake Tahoe, and that's what a lot of the tree companies there do. You know, Tahoe gets uh, a shit ton of snow every year, and so uh, they're running plows pretty much constantly. And it, you know, snow is just a way of life there. It's you're always planning for you know winter is coming, so you're always planning for it. Um, but tree care companies there, you know, they they kind of pivot. They're not doing as much tree work. It's a little bit slower. So they're outfitting, they're taking their chip trucks and they're putting the snow plow on the front. And then they're, you know, offering the service that, you know, maybe not as lucrative, obviously as tree work, but it still might be paying the bills. It might still might be filling out your payroll. It still might be, you know, something that is uh, pretty good for you. Yep. Keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I got on the list, and it, it, I just wrote, make YouTube videos. Make YouTube videos. Which is kind of, you know, kind of seems kind of funny. You know, I mean, we definitely create content uh, doing the podcast. And, you know, we've we've got a YouTube. I'll plug it real quick. Go check out our Tree Thinking YouTube. Tree Thinking YouTube. We got a couple episodes on there, and we're going to be making some other videos and putting them on there. So uh, go subscribe. Uh, we've put some work into that, and we would love to see the benefit of people checking it out. It is probably the most underrated spot on the entire internet is our YouTube page. So, <laughs> but 
Probably. 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 Because it's it's great. It's really great. I mean, it's it's just us talking, and there's a video. So. Yeah, if, if you haven't got enough of us talking, go check out our YouTube page. See what we look like when we talk. Because there's video. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the kind of what I'm talking about is make a commercial. You know, you could make a commercial for your company. These days, it's not hard to, you know, have a Facebook, have an Instagram have a couple of those social medias. That's how people look you up anyways. You know, people aren't watching TV like they used to. So you can produce your own commercial. All you got to do, talk, you know, develop the message you want to get out. Why do people want to work with you? Talk about the knowledge you have, how you can make their yard better, how they're going to be happier people. They're going to love their spouse more. If they have your service out there. They'll be happier, healthier, better lovers. Oh, man. It'll just be everything. Yeah, you got to, they got to call you. They got to figure out what's up. So make a video and just promote your company. You know, if, if you're, if you're not doing tree work, see if you can't put some into, uh, you know, scaring up some tree work and, and build up that backside of your business. That's really hard to do when you're out grinding all day. And, you know, a lot of tree guys are not video editors. Uh, a lot of tree guys aren't sound engineers. But let me tell you, neither am I. I'm, I am horrible with technology. But I figured out how to hit the red record button and talk into a mic. And just the fact that you're listening is proof that it can be done by anybody. So Literally anybody. <laughs> literally anybody. So, uh you know, put, put a little time in trying to figure out how you can promote your business. You know, even if it's too cold to do the work, try to plant that seed in people's head. Hey, when it thaws out, we're here to take care of your trees. We're going to make your property look nicer, up your property value, all that stuff. And it may not even necessarily be for an outward facing thing. You might just want to record some recording or some uh, uh, training videos, you know, when you onboard people. I mean, obviously there's a lot of great training videos online, but maybe, you know, there's something that you want to add. Something company specific. Company specific. You know, you can, you can create that, those resources. So when you onboard somebody, depending on, you know, how many employees you have, or if you have a need for it, you know, it might, it might be worth an afternoon or a day of your time to, to put together a video and, you know, allow that or show that to your new employees to kind of help, help them give them that extra step forward towards where you want them to go. Yeah. So I think we've kind of run through my list of, uh, that I had laid out here of stuff to talk to. Um, what are your final thoughts? I mean, weather's changing, you know, this is my favorite time of year. Um, and I say that about fall and spring and it really, I guess it, it depends on what season I'm actually in, but I really, I love this time of year. Like everything's changing. The, like the trees are, the deciduous trees are really putting on their, their favorite show. It's kind of a moment where you can kind of take a step back, um, from the heat of the summer and, uh, take kind of a breather before the, the bitter, bitter cold and rain of the winter, at least here. Um, and it's really a good kind of recentering, um, experience at least for me i'm i'm a very seasonally driven person you know i i i i've lived in a temperate climate my entire life so it's always been i've always kind of like moved and migrated with the seasons and my mood uh, kind of ch- uh, changes and fluctuates uh, accordingly and like this time of year my mood's at the highest uh, trees are beautiful climbing around in uh, t- today we were climbing around in um, uh, some gorgeous black walnuts and like just having the leaves fall down and it's yeah it's it's so cool 
Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, this is arguably my favorite time of year as well. So, um, you know, I think my final thoughts are prepare. You know, that's been one of those things this time of year, whether it's tree work or whether it's, you know, back in the day when when you had to, you know, feed yourself through a winter. Uh-huh. You know, winter time, fall time is time to prepare. And I think the people that are prepared and have a plan going into winter, if it's, if it's going to be a little bit of a tougher time, a little bit slower season, the people that are prepared have things to do, have money set aside. Those are the ones that it's not going to really affect them. It's the people that haven't prepared that are going to have a harder time when winter comes. Uh, if you're ready, winter is a great time of year. And, you know, if you're prepared, if you got some money set aside, if you got some light tasks to do, it's really a good time for your body to relax, for you to center yourself, and for you to kind of work on your long-term planning. And uh, with that, I'll say stay safe and... Winter is coming.